The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good that you can join us here again at Bromley Town Church. We've been looking this last, well, four past four weeks at the life of the disciple and the apostle Peter. And this is the last one in the series. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And if there are any of these past four weeks that you have not been able to to watch, then yes, please catch up and watch those in the back part of or the front first part of this series. But yeah, we've looked at the early days of Peter. We've looked at his calling. We've looked at his meeting Jesus. We've then looked at his time spent with Jesus through the ministry of Jesus. We then looked uh, at the time where Peter went on after the ascension of Jesus to heaven and his life at that point. And then last week, Pastor Jonathan spoke to us about Peter's legacy. He spoke to us about the first letter that Peter wrote to the church. This week, as I say, we're going to conclude the series and we're going to be staying with this theme of legacy. We're going to be staying with the theme of Peter's teaching. But this week, as found in his second and final letter. And uh, my title this week is A Faithful Life Well Lived. A Faithful Life Well Lived. Well, we've been talking a lot about this word legacy. It's been appearing in the title. It's been uh, a word that we've nearly all used. But we said, well, what is a legacy? What is a legacy? Well, a legacy is something that lives on so much further, so significantly further than the natural lifespan of the person who leaves it. And what it is, just like Peter's life and Peter's letters, that it's a legacy brings direction and it brings guidance and it brings encouragement. Why? Because it's full of life's experience and life's knowledge from the individual who leaves it. And I think we'll agree that Peter certainly left that for us. Peter's life had radically changed. There is no doubt about them, about this. When we first meet this man, we know that he's a professional fisherman, that, that he's a robust sort of guy, sort of the earth sort of fella, I guess. And, and as such, he, there he is fishing on Lake Galilee day after day, trying to eke out a, what I think would have been a fairly meager existence, bearing in mind the Roman occupation and the taxes that they imposed. And as such, we know he's recorded as saying in Luke 5 and verse 8, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. But we then see that Peter becomes a disciple, a student, one who learns from the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter very significantly in Matthew 16 and verse 18, And I tell her that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. After Jesus' ministry here on earth comes to an end, uh, Peter is truly an apostle. An apostle means one who is sent, one who takes the teachings of Jesus to others. And in the three years that he had been with his Lord, he has been transformed, made ready to fulfill the calling that has been placed upon his life. 
You'll remember uh, fondly, and I always smile at this, with when Peter first encounters Jesus in those early chapters, and in Luke 5 you'll find this story. Peter's been all night fishing, he's caught nothing, he's weary, he wants to mend his nets or such as wash them, and then get on home. And then Jesus says, Lord, just, just put out your, your, your boat into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And somewhat reluctantly, as would I after a hard day's work, he's, oh gosh, is it you, Jesus? Yes, I will. And as he does so, there is this miraculous catch of fish. So many fish are caught that it tells us that the nets begin to break, the boat begins to list, it's even under the threat of sinking because of the enormous weight of the fish. Now, we, if, we, if we take that story and then you, you, you contrast that with the account of when they're fishing at the end of the Gospels, this can be found in John 21. The disciples after the crucifixion didn't know what to do, so Peter decides, we're going to go fishing, guys. They go fishing again. They catch nothing. On the lake shore stands Jesus the next morning. They don't recognize it's the Lord Jesus, but he says to them, fish, no, we haven't any. Let down your nets to the right-hand side of the boats, which again they dutifully do. This time, another miraculous catch. But significantly, no net is broken. Scripture doesn't tell us about the boat listing and threatening to sink. And the reason why? Because these guys are now made ready. They are ready, ready for what lay ahead, ready for ministry, ready not to be fishers on Lake Galilee, but to be fishers, as Jesus has called them to be, of men. Yomi spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about some of the things that Peter did since Jesus, or when Jesus uh, returned to heaven. Now, when we come to this, Peter's second and final letter, he has pretty much come to the end of his life. It's a dutiful, faithful life that he's lived in serving his Lord and God. But he's certain that his passing is now near. And he says so in his letter in chapter 1 and verse 14. He says, I know that I will soon put the tent of this body aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now, whether Peter was in prison and under a sentence, it's not clear. But one thing is clear is that he seeks to encourage the church, a fledgling church, a church that is now under some sort of persecution. And he wants to encourage them before he passes on to press in in their faith in Jesus Christ. So that even despite trials, despite opposition, and despite what the changing world, the changing times would inevitably bring and did bring, that they would remain faithful in all things. Now, the exact timing of this is not known, but shortly after Peter pens this letter, in terms of months and years, we don't know, but a short time after, Peter does die. He's martyred for his faith in Jesus and his preaching in that name. Now, in Peter's first letter that Pastor Jonathan spoke to us about last week, uh, he speaks a lot about wanting to encourage the church in general sufferings. In this letter, in his second letter, he devotes a good deal of it to that which is the ever-growing threat of opposition, dissent, and disagreement. And this from within. Not outside the church, but within. False teachers had arisen. False teachers had infiltrated the church. And their intent was to sow seeds of discouragement, of, of disruption. And the warning that is brought here is very real. Peter, it doesn't say in this letter, oh, look, you might like to consider that these things might be your experience. No, not at all. This comes from the top. 
This comes from Peter, the rock, this faithful, this obedient disciple of Jesus, who's saying, you need to be aware of this. Mark my words. In chapter 2 and in verse 1 of this, his second letter, he says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord. And in chapter 3, verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now, it's not a random thing that Peter is addressing, and at some length, this subject in this letter. Because he wants the church to be aware of false teachers and their wicked ways. You know, it's only a short letter, three chapters And yet the entirety of chapter 2 and a whole chunk of chapter 3 is on this one subject alone. And the reason that Peter is focused on this, because he only knows too well that these people, once they get in and amongst the sheep, will wreak havoc. And that havoc and that problem that they will cause, the damage that they may cause, might take an age to rectify if it can ever be rectified at all. So he wants the church to be aware of the threat and that what false teachers can do. And indeed, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the, the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, he warns, he said, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And therefore, do not be surprised that these false teachers will come in amongst you trying to curry favour, win favour as seemingly true people but not. Now, Peter heard the Lord Jesus speak on the very same subject. So again, no surprise he raises it here. In Matthew 7, at verses 16 to 20, Jesus says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, because Peter heard this spoken by Jesus, a good deal of what Peter warns in this second letter is not things like, now guys, what you need to know is this is going to be the false teaching. This is the thing to look out for. This is the thing that they're going to say. Not at all. He stays with Jesus' theme, saying, What do the lives of these people look like? What fruit are their lives producing? That is where he comes from in this this letter. Peter says in chapter 2, he says they follow shameful ways. He says that they can be people of greed. He says that they follow corrupt desires and despise authority. He says that they can be bold and arrogant, eyes full of adultery, and they never stop sinning. Now, I should say at this point that false teaching and false doctrine is not sadly something that was resigned to the early church. It didn't have its time and then gone. Since the church began, it has been threatened by attacks from external sources and sometimes more destructively from within. 
So what's the best protection for a Christian man or woman against these things? What's the best defense, as it were, from for a Christian church? Well, it is being thoroughly grounded in the word of God. To know what God's word says, to know what its contents includes, to know the character and therefore the promises of God. So we know it ourselves, so that when something comes that's contrary to that, then immediately the flag goes up. You don't have to be a member of Bromley Town Church or come to the services at BTC very long, or indeed to watch these messages online before you're here. Pastor Jonathan encourages to be those who immerse ourselves in the Bible and to get a grip and to read God's word daily. Why? Because when we do, we gain wisdom, we gain understanding, and our spiritual senses are heightened. And therefore, we are much better placed to be able to discern what may be incorrect. Now, Proverbs 4 and verse 1 says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Understanding and wisdom comes from the word of God. But of course, our ultimate defence in all of this is, of course, God himself. And Peter, in in chapter 2, verse 9, says, The Lord knows how to rescue godly people from trials. And in respect of the church, Jesus said at verse 16, uh, chapter 16, forgive me, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, the second theme of this second and last letter of Peter's is one of encouragement. Well, why wouldn't it be? He knows his time is short. He wants to encourage the church. He says in chapter 1 and verse 12 that he's aware that who he writes to are firmly established in the truth. But he goes on in verse 13 to say, but I think it right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. In other words, I know you guys know this truth. But nonetheless, I want to double underline it. I want to double underline these truths so that you follow them. And then he goes on to recall in his letter that time when he was with the, uh, the, the other disciples, James and John, on the Mount of what we call Transfiguration. What he calls in this letter the Sacred Mountain, where he saw his Lord glorified, transformed before their very eyes. And they heard the word of God themselves. Who said, the, the word says, Matthew 17, verse 5, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, I am personally certain that in all that Peter heard, all that he heard from the Lord Jesus, all that he saw him do, nothing compared to this momentous time where he saw his Lord transformed in all his glory. And there stood Elijah and Moses alongside and then audibly to hear the word of God. This would have impacted them greatly. And he refers to it in this letter. After all these years, he's referring, oh, I remember that time. But do you know what? He doesn't just say, you need to listen to this because it's my testimony. He says, no, he refers to scripture. He comes back and says, we have the scriptures. We have this testimony. And in chapter 2, verse 19, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You know, 
that transfiguration, that time would have impacted Peter so much that he would have known that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. He is the fulfillment, that he is God's promised Messiah. And not that just that one momentous event, but all that he saw and heard, which gave further evidence that Jesus is the saviour of the world. Peter is unswerving in his faith right to the end. Right to the end. He's a man versed in the scriptures. When he got up and spoke uh, at Pentecost, he used uh, sections of the prophet Joel. He spoke from the Psalms. He didn't preach. He didn't have a prepared word like I prepared this word. He got up and brought that because it was in him. He knew the scriptures. He observed firsthand the fulfillment of so many of these prophecies. But he was aware, as do we, that there are some of the words of Jesus that have not come to pass. And particularly, Jesus is returning as Lord and King. In 1 John 14, 3, Jesus has said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. But Jesus also says, with regard to his return in Matthew 24, verse 36, but about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Peter is assured, as indeed we should all be, that all of God's promises will come to fulfilment in God's timing. And he appropriately, therefore, devotes most of his last chapter of his final letter to this. Jesus is coming again. He makes clear that when those scoffers ask, where is this second coming, as we've just looked at in that scripture, he basically says, well, listen, God is God. And his timing is not our timing. He's not constrained by time as we see it. Indeed, in, he says in, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Now, we might not understand or comprehend or necessarily agree with God's timing. It's 2,000 years on since Jesus ascended. But that doesn't mean God isn't making his way and getting towards that momentous time. In fact, just the opposite. We should see this, as Peter did, as an opportunity of seeing that God has so much compassion, mercy and grace that he wants people to come to faith in his son before all things come to an end. Peter says in, in what I think is one of, well, certainly is in one of my best loved verses from this letter to Peter 3, 9. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But he goes on in verse 10 to say, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, the end will ultimately come. And Peter tells us and us, his readers today, that that day will come suddenly. Jesus, when telling his disciples about the end times in Matthew 24, 40, said two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. And Jesus also spoke in Matthew 24 of there being other signs of the end of the age. But as we've already seen, only God knows the day and the hour. So Peter says to his readers, he says to us in this, look, what you should be doing as Christians is living upright, wholesome lives in this hour, at this time that you've been called. Yes, there is a time set by God when all things will come to an end. But your task is to work out and to serve the kingdom and to reach out to as many as you can with this good news and this gospel of Jesus Christ.
We've looked at the life of the Apostle Peter over the past five weeks, including this week. What do we know? Well, he enters the pages of the Gospels, as we've seen, as a worldly and, by his own definition, a sinful man. But Jesus looks beyond the here and now and sees his heart, he sees his, his calling, and he sees a ministry for this guy. We know that he's quick to speak, often getting it wrong, often not understanding the situation. He's impetuous, he's prone to saying the wrong thing, he's prone to being hot-headed, and but at the same time, he shows great understanding, great wisdom. He wants to press on in faith, but he often falters, and how encouraging is that for us? Throughout his life as a disciple, he is a work in progress, as we all are. But Jesus knows that in this man is a rock, a steadfast and loyal heart. And after Jesus ascends to heaven, that he speaks with great boldness to a crowd, 3,000 are saved, and the early church is birthed. He works miracles in the name of his Lord. He travels far and wide sharing the gospel. He is no stranger to opposition and persecution. Indeed, he's no stranger to the inside of a prison cell. Why? For nothing else than preaching the good news of the gospel. And through the prompting of the Spirit, he reaches out to non-Christians and persuades the other leaders of the church that Gentiles too can be Christians, people of faith. Peter remains faithful to his Saviour and right the way through to the end. So in conclusion, in conclusion on this series, we can say Peter was an eyewitness of Jesus. He grew in understanding throughout the time of Jesus' ministry and was used powerfully long after Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand. On the day of Jesus' arrest, he wasn't one that made tracks and fled, as we understand nearly all the others did. But in line with his character, his courageous nature, he went with John into the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus would be taken to be questioned. And there he was. But his bravery left him when he was identified, surely, was one of those that have been with Jesus. In fear of his own life, he goes on to deny his Lord three times, as Jesus said he would, but he emphatically said he would not. But after Jesus' resurrection, he was restored on that lake shore, and he went on fiercely in the power of the Holy Spirit to preach and to serve the church for the remainder of his days. Peter knew his identity was in Jesus Christ. That's where his strength came from. And he goes on to serve him. And we too should understand, in conclusion, that our identity, just as Peter's was, is in Christ. If you have put your faith in him as your Lord and as your Saviour. And it is the most important thing and will ever be about your life if you are in that position. It's, it's greater than our status. It's greater than our title. It's greater than our work. It's greater than, than any reputation we may have had. And it's certainly greater than any wealth that we may ever accumulate. He is our Lord. And as with Peter, our walk with him is to go on with him day by day year by year, and see our faith and our love and our trust in him grow. Peter, John, James, and all the others had seen all that Jesus had said and done. And they thought it was all lost at the crucifixion. They thought it was all over. What a horrible end to what it was to be. A a wonderful ministry to that point, but it was all over. That is what they thought. But on that first Easter Sunday, they met with the risen Lord Jesus. 
the one who had defeated the grave. And despite thereafter persecution, despite hardship, despite the ever-present threat of death even, they continued pressing on and in and delivering this message far and wide. Why? Because they knew this was truth. They had seen it, they had witnessed it, they were living it, and they wanted it to be understood and received by all who would receive him. And that message is still true and resounding today. Peter, a faithful life, well lived. Now, I just want to conclude by saying, if you do not know this Lord, if you do not know him as your Lord and Saviour, then please take it that you should find out more. Please contact Bromley Town Church. Email us at prayer at bromleytownchurch.com and discover more. We run Alpha courses. We are only too pleased to speak with those who are seeking and actively looking to find this risen Saviour and be absolutely certain, as was Peter, that this is a life and a message worth proclaiming. So thank you. I say I hope you've enjoyed this season, this series. I certainly have, and it's been a privilege to bring it to an end. We are now in the season of Advent, and Pastor Jonathan will be talking to us next week on something new. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.